to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl, and it is Wednesday, June 2nd. On today's show, questions have arisen in the playoffs for teams like the Toronto Maple Leafs and players like Ben Simmons. How likely is it that we can find answers? It's coming at you soon. First off, I have very exciting news to share with everybody. We now have an app. It's called The Beehive TV. You can download it anywhere you want. Apple, Google, you name it. Uh, if you go and download that app, you have access to everything I'm currently doing here with No Baller. You can get notifications when the videos are posted. You can listen to them just as audio. Uh, and it's a really easy way of listening, watching, and interacting with this show. So if, if you enjoy this, uh, I ask, you know, go and download the Beehive TV app. Let me know how it goes, all that kind of stuff. The second part of that, if you love this show, if you enjoy it, if you think it's good, please share it with sports fans in your life. That's another thing that will help me immensely, uh, and I ask of you if you enjoy this. Okay, let's get started with a way that we start every single show. Gambling tidbit of the day. Why gambling should be legal in Utah. Yesterday, I was beat to hell at the end of the day. I'd been on a heater on the golf course. Uh, It came crashing down around me. And so I was coming off emotionally down, and I said, you know what's going to pick me up out of the doldrums? Place a few wagers on these nice... NBA and NHL playoff games. So I go and I put a lot of uh, uh, bets out. You know, I'm betting on the lightning and the hurricanes. I bet on the Celtics and the Nets. And I hone in on Nuggets Blazers to bet a a lot of props on because I've gotten back into that old familiar pattern of rather than betting totals or spreads, I'm betting player props. So I go heavy on overs in this game. You know, I have Robert Covington, over six and a half rebounds. I have Michael Porter Jr., over six and a half rebounds. Got Nikola Jokic, over five and a half assists. I'm just hammering overs, 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 overs. And I'm settling down to watch this game. And because I'm beat to hell, I say, you know what? Rather than watch it here in this office, I'm going to go home. I'm going to take a nice shower. I'm going to feel good about life. I'm going to settle down in my bed. I'm going to have a nice relaxing evening where I watch some basketball and I feel good about life. And I expected this relaxing experience. However, as anybody who watched this game knows, it turned into the opposite. Uh, Edge of your seat, double overtime thriller, where Damian Lillard lost his mind. He scores 55 points. He sets an NBA playoff record with 12 made threes. He cans a three at the end of regulation to send it to overtime. He cans another three at the end of the first overtime to send it to a second. It was one of those magical playoff experiences and one of those magical playoff performances coming from Lillard. So me, the man who is lying in his bed ready for a a nice evening in, who's bet a bunch of overs in this game where the best interest of me is to continually go into overtime and to have a a point total like 147 to 140 because there was a million possessions. And now all of my overs are hitting and I'm watching and I'm enjoying the game and I'm enjoying all of my bets hitting And it's one of those great experiences that A, the playoffs provide, B, uh, players like Dame Lillard and Nikola Jokic, who also was fantastic in the game, provide, and C, what sports gambling provides and why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah, because it will make you scream in delight, more so than usual, even in the confines of your own bed, at the apathetic defenses of the Portland Trailblazers and the Denver Nuggets. And now, quick word from our sponsors. With your masquerading and you always call Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. 
They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. I am going to start today's show with a beautiful quote from Zora Neale Hurston that I've used before and I probably will use again. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. One of my favorite quotes that describes the process of improvement. Uh, That's applicable in life, the way that you try to be better just as a person in your dealings with people that you love or respect and like. Uh, within your professional realm where you're trying to identify how do I become better at my cho- chosen profession? Uh, how do I build upon what I have and become a better version of myself? And it's really applicable within the world of sports and within this playoff crucible that we're going through in the NBA and the NHL. How do I become a better version of myself? Uh, how do I always seek out these questions that are arising and try to find answers and solutions to these problems? Um, I talked about it in a roundabout way a lot on yesterday's show about game four of the Jazz and the Grizzlies and the way that the Jazz have had questions arise in the playoffs in years past and questions really about how they play offense. And over the course of years, uh, the Jazz as a roster and as a management group and as a coaching staff, they've really in a beneficial way, explored these questions and found a lot of answers. How do we improve Donovan Mitchell as a creator? How do we surround him with more scoring and creation? How do we create more space for this offense? How do we empower our three-point shooters to shoot? How do we make them better at three-point shooting in general? It's all of these questions that have arisen that the Jazz are trying to find out answers for. And even within the confines of this specific series, it's still these this question and answer search uh, in a way that is hopefully beneficial for the Jazz. You know, how do we play defense better than we're currently playing it against the Memphis Grizzlies? Question, hopeful answer. Question, hopeful answer. Years that you ask questions and years that answer. Uh, You need to look no further than last night's game that I referenced at the top of the episode, the Blazers and the Nuggets, for the exact same theme. Uh, the Blazers come out of that game, and if you're that management group or that coaching staff, you're saying, how do we surround Dame Lillard with more? How are we wasting performances like this from a player who can just explode by himself and, and carry an offense, score 55 points and can 12 threes and do this a, a lot of times? How do we surround this guy with a deeper roster, with more talent, with things that accentuate his strengths and try to cover up his weaknesses. That's the question that the Blazers are continually asking themselves coming out of playoffs in years past, coming out of a game like last night. Uh, The Nuggets, they have a more hopeful question that they're asking themselves right now because theirs is tied in more to circumstance and injury. It's what do we actually look like at our fully realized version with a healthy Jamal Murray? He blows his knee out near the end of the regular season And so this Nuggets team that we're watching that is still playing basketball at a high level that has the likely MVP of the league on their roster, Jokic, playing as good as he's ever played, they look at themselves and they go, okay, there are questions that are coming about within this playoff series and as the playoffs go along, but the real question isn't even applicable to this year. We will presumably lose to somebody because we just don't have that high-level depth and star power right now with Murray being out. But what do we look like moving forward with him in place? That's a really big question. 
Even a team like the Boston Celtics, who were eliminated last night against the Nets, they have a really hard question that they're staring down the barrel of. Because three years ago, they had probably the most hopeful and envious roster and collection of draft picks in the entire league. And everybody looked at Boston with great envy, saying, oh man, if we had that much young talent and that much draft capital, you could build a contender like that. And now we're three years removed from it. And the question coming out of last night and moving forward for Boston is, how did we turn that roster and that collection of draft capital into this? This seemingly apathetic team that does not really fit together well, that it does have young talent. It's got Jason Tatum. It's got Jalen Brown, who was injured and didn't play in the series. But they seem really far away from being a championship contender. And that would have seemed so unlikely three years ago. And yet that's here we are. Questions, 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 questions. You know, the sad reality of the playoffs is, this is something that I continually reference, for every team but one, you're coming out of the playoffs with questions. You know, every team but one is going to lose. And when you lose in the, this continual search to be better, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and you have to ask the questions. Why did we lose? How did we lose? Is it possible for us to get better in those areas? How? One team and one team alone will have an answer. You know, every, te- every other team, it's going to be the year that you ask questions. That's the playoffs. Uh, that's what makes it so cool. And that's what makes watching these pressure-filled games and series resonate so much with me as a viewer. Because you can feel that sense of urgency that comes about. That, oh, we know only one team will have an answer this year. And we hope it's us. Oh, no, it's not. Okay, well, how do we get better? And then you trace that over the course of years. That's the playoffs. That's the search. So this brings up a team that is really interesting in this context. Uh, Probably, for me personally, the most interesting team in the NBA or the NHL playoffs when it comes to question marks and how do you move forward from what has happened in this year's playoffs. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs. A team that two nights ago blew a 3-1 series lead against the Montreal Canadiens. They lost 3-1 in Game 7 on home ice, but not really home ice because no one was really allowed in. There was 500 uh, healthcare workers and nobody else. But before that, in Games 5 and 6, Toronto falls down early in both. They come storming back to force overtime in 5 and in Game 6. Montreal scores. Montreal scores. You're now in Game 7. You now are down in that game and you've lost 3-1. And it's those razor-thin margins that I'm always talking about, which are always there in every sport, football, basketball, golf, you name it. Uh, And in hockey, the razor-thin margin is even finer. Uh, It's probably the closest in any sport of just, man, it's hard to comprehend how much of this sport can just boil down to chance and how much of it can just boil down to this idea that there's some higher power out there that's either for or against your team. A puck hits a post and goes in, and you've won. A puck hits a post and goes out, and the next thing you know, you've lost. It's just a margin that's literally a centimeter. You know, A physical centimeter can a lot of times dictate these grand conclusions about a team in a series and a team moving forward. So the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're sitting there uh, looking at the ruins of this season. And really, 
the ruins of 15 plus years of playoff struggles. They lost in the bubble last year as favorites against Columbus, a team that if you just matched up roster versus roster, you would go down the list and say, yeah, Toronto is infinitely more talented than this Columbus Blue Jackets team. And we came out of that series and Columbus had won. And Toronto was soul-searching. And they said, okay, do we double down on this vision that we have of accumulating talent and playing with it and saying, we got high-end skill, we got a lot of it, do we stay the course? Or do we tweak this vision? Or do we alter it completely? These are the questions that arise after playoff failures. This is a Toronto Maple Leafs team that has not advanced in the postseason since 2004. They have lost seven straight postseason series. They have lost eight straight games in which they could have eliminated the opponent. These are almost unfathomable stats within the world of hockey where the razor-thin margin is nothing. And so to be in this many series and this many games where you can eliminate a team and to have failed in all of those, it really kind of defies comprehension of hockey fans. And so how do you make sense of that if you are the Toronto Maple Leafs roster or a fan or their management? This is the question coming out of these playoffs. I'm going to read a quote from Jason Myrtle of The Athletic real quick when it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs. This wasn't 2013, 2017, 2018, 2019, or even 2020. This team played well almost all season. They won a lot of games, and they earned their shiny record. Then they completely imploded when it mattered most. That not only makes this more painful, it also makes it harder to fix. End quote. From a roster construction standpoint, now we arrive at an immense, immense question. What do you do with a talented roster that has so far failed in the playoffs? And this has happened for all of time. We can look at the Tampa Bay Lightning, their five-year arc that we just witnessed, where Tampa had accumulated the most talented roster in hockey. And they would just decimate teams in the regular season and build up a, one of these shiny records. And if you go into the playoffs, you had to consider them the favorite every single year they're going in because there was just so much roster talent that it seemed like they could just overwhelm teams by virtue of having this. And yet it was a failure and it was a failure and it was a failure. And this reached, uh, it reached its climax two years ago when they themselves were playing the Columbus Blue Jackets in a first round playoff series where they were heavy favorites. I want to say minus 450 gambling favorites, roughly about that to win the series, which is an incredible <laughs> style of favorite, again, in the world of hockey, where the margins are almost nothing. They go into that series, and they have all these past playoff failures, so you feel the pressure when you watch them play, and they're rolling out Victor Hedman and Steven Stamkos and Kita Kucherov and Braden Point and Andre Vasilevsky, all of these world-class hockey players. They're just rolling them out in seemingly endless supply. And then they're playing that series in the first round, and the Blue Jackets win game one. We go, oh, no, all right, well, and the Blue Jackets win game two. And, and the hockey world was just kind of flabbergasted. Like, is there something intrinsically wrong with the way this team has been put together? Or do they just lack that killer instinct that, that really hard-headed sports fans love to talk about? Are they just not winners the same 
caveman logic that I always rail against, they lose game three. They lose game four. A series that they were favored immensely, the Tampa Bay Lightning have now been swept in. It was the talk of the hockey world, and for good reason. And so going into the offseason, they're at this crossroads moment again, as they've been multiple years prior. What do we do? Do we tear this roster down? Do we trade some of our high-level talent for different talent? Do we slightly tweak the vision? Uh, And to Tampa's credit, in this instance, they stayed the course. They said, no, we are trusting that we have tons of talent. We have depth. And yeah, we've lost in, in ways that we hold a lot of the account for the blame. And in other ways, it's just random chance in hockey. And so we're going to roll it back. And we're going to trust that if you roll back a really talented team enough, sooner or later, that will be to your benefit. And last year, they saw the benefit. And they just stomped on people in the playoffs. They beat the Dallas Stars in game six of the Stanley Cup Finals. And a team that had questions in endless amounts for years and years and years. All those years that held questions. Uh, Last year was the answer. We're Stanley Cup champions because we have a ton of talent. And nobody, when it's fully healthy, can stand against it. That's the vision that Tampa Bay had. That's the vision they believed in. And it bore fruit last year. So this is what management always has to deal with. When your team falls short, you have to ask the questions of yourself. Do you tear this down? You're the Toronto Maple Leafs. Do you just burn it to the ground and try to build in a different manner? Do you tweak the vision in a way that they did this year? Toronto, who's always been about this high-end talent accumulation, they've dedicated over half their salary cap to four really talented forwards. Austin Matthews, John Tavares, William Nylander, and Mitch Marner. Uh, Great players in their own right, who to varying degrees have had success or failure individually within the playoffs. They built their roster unlike any other team. No other team has dedicated that much salary in a hard-capped league to four forwards. So that's a question. Can you win like this? I don't know. They don't know. No one really knows. So going into this year, they tweak the vision slightly and they say, okay, people are making fun of this high-end talent accumulation and, and the hockey men and the, the old hockey logic says you need grit to win in the playoffs. All this fancy speed and skill, it's going to be bogged down because the refs will let a lot more go and teams are going to be a lot more physical and they're going to slash you, they're going to hook you, they're going to hammer you and refs aren't going to call that as much as they do in the regular season. And so play will slow down, and at that point, it becomes more important that you have these big, burly grinders who can dig pucks out of the corner, who can get in front of the net and deflect it, who can pound and cross-check people when they come into the zone. This is the old hockey wisdom that's been passed down, that right now there's debate whether or not it's actually true. So Toronto, they go a little bit down that road. They sign some of these grizzled veterans, this, this grit. They try to add it to their roster. You know, this blend of talent and grit. New age thinking, old school thinking. They sign Joe Thornton, Jumbo Joe. You know, they get Wayne Simmons. They trade for Nick Foligno, Riley Nash. Uh, These depth pieces who don't really line up with the high-end skill vision, this speed and skill and get it in space and let it work. It's an alternate way of trying to win. It's that old school way of winning. And this year it didn't work again. You know, a tweak to the vision 
but it still bore the same fruit, unfortunately, for Toronto. A first-round loss, one where they blew a 3-1 series lead, one where they lost Game 5 and 6 in overtime and blew Game 7 at home. So you're still at the same point as management. Do we tear it down? Do we tweak the vision again? What does that mean? Or do we stay the course? It really makes me think of my own favorite team, the Colorado Avalanche. Because interestingly enough, back when they were searching for a general manager at their lowest point four years ago, when they were the worst team in hockey, one of the worst teams in this era of modern hockey, and they were trying to find somebody to build something out of nothing. And one of the people who was in the running for that job was Kyle Dubois, who is now the general manager of Toronto, who shares a similar mindset and vision to Joe Sackick, the current general manager of the Avalanche. We want to accumulate speed and skill because in today's NHL, that's what's going to win out. And if we get that in overwhelming amounts, teams can't match up against that. And Dubois, he has mostly stuck in with that. But, you know, this year there's been tweaks to the vision And now he's at a moment of how much do I trust in this vision that I myself have created? Uh, Is it a winning formula? He's having to look in the mirror and try to answer that question for himself. How much belief do I have in in this foundation that I've laid down? And Joe Sackick has gone about it in a similar manner, but he has stayed the course with his vision. He's doubled down and tripled down and quadrupled down upon that mode of roster construction. High-end talent, And if we can't get high in talent, we're going to get speed and we're going to get skill. We're going to line that up on our second line and our third line and our fourth line in our second defensive pairing, in our third defensive pairing. Areas of the roster that for all of time, NHL logic and wisdom has said, you fill that with the grinder style types. They're not really skilled, but they bring that grit element and they're there to be leaders and stuff like that. Joe Sackick has gone the opposite way. And he said, if you got skill and speed, we can't have enough of it. And... That might work out this year. Colorado's the cup favorite. They have looked as good as as I could ever have wished for in my favorite team. They're a joy to watch every single night. It's almost, it almost hurts my head to think that four years ago, Colorado was that, this 48-point team. And in present day, they are this incredibly gifted hockey team that plays it in the most beautiful manner I've ever watched. And it's my team. And every time I can turn them on, I can watch various people on the ice come out and do incredible things. Just game one the other night against the Vegas Golden Knights, you know. I have the privilege of watching Nathan McKinnon and Kel McCarr, two all-world superstars, just fly around the ice doing things that I very rarely ever see done on a hockey rink. And that's accentuated by all of these depth pieces that Colorado has built uh, that are just their talent and their skill and their speed. You know, the Andre Burakovskis of the world, the Jonas Donskoys of the world, Sam Girard. I can go down the list. I could name their entire roster because it all matches up with this vision that Joe Sackick has that he's stuck with. And that the Avalanche and me as a fan are hoping bears fruit this year in the same way that it did last year for Tampa Bay. Hey, we have a vision. We've laid down the foundation and hopefully this manifests itself into a Stanley Cup. So back to Toronto, one of 29 teams that will lose this year in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and we'll have to go through this process. Uh, This is a year that we'll ask questions. And if you're Toronto's management, what is the answer to this question? You know, can this team win? This team in its current iteration, can it win? 
We don't know. They don't know. Uh, that's what makes this stuff so interesting. And I think what makes it so fulfilling when it's a year that has the answer because there's so much belief that has to go into building a team from the ground up and seeing it fail in the playoffs for years and years and years before it breaks through. Uh, That's a really fulfilling process to watch as a fan or to be a part of as a player or coach or management. There's a lot of belief that's built into what you're doing is the correct avenue, even if it's never been done before. So the Toronto Maple Leafs, they now enter this offseason, and they have a lot of choices to make. Do we tear it down? Do we trade William Nylander or Mitch Moner, the two people who are probably most likely to be traded if push comes to shove? Do we slightly tweak the vision of high-end talent and skill and accumulation as much as possible? And what, what does that mean? Or do we stay the course and we say, we bear some of the blame for our failures, but some of it is just, it's just the way the world turns, essentially. There's a higher power out there. Uh, he or she did not smile down on us in this series. And we trust that if we run it back next year, that'll be different. This is why the playoffs are so interesting. We switch over to the NBA, and you're watching a lot of teams and players go through a similar process. And the one that I want to talk about today, because I think it's very interesting, is the Philadelphia 76ers, and more specifically, Ben Simmons, one of the star players on their roster. So the Sixers themselves, they already have an enormous question that's been there for years. Can Joel Embiid stay healthy? He goes down in game four against the Wizards. Again, he's had a history that's littered with injuries. He's a big man who, as we know from the past with all big men for all of time, it's just harder for them to stay healthy. The Lakers are seeing that with Anthony Davis right now. The way their body is constructed, being huge, being tall, weighing more, running around a court, cutting on your knees and joints over and over and over. These people are more prone to injury than your smaller style of players. That's a big question for the Sixers. Can this dude stay healthy? For somebody who's on the court, Ben Simmons, uh, there's a really hard question that has been asked of him in the past and after game four against Washington is going to be asked again and again and again. Now, these questions won't matter within this series because Washington is not good enough to beat the Sixers. But it's a really pertinent question for a team that values itself as a contender as they move to the next round and play the winner of the Hawks-Knicks series or it's really going to be pertinent when they get to the following round and play the winner of the Bucks or the Nets, two teams that look like really rock-solid title contenders. So back to Ben Simmons and Game 4. I'm going to read to you a, a section from an article written by Dan Devine of The Ringer. Whether due to the foul trouble, the de-emphasized role, or a combination of the two, Simmons never quite seemed to get on track attempting only two shots in the second half and just five for the game, finishing with 13 points, 12 rebounds, and three assists in 24 minutes. The most notable part of his performance? Wizards coach Scott Brooks chose to intentionally foul Simmons, who had missed all nine of his free throw attempts in the first three games of the series on three consecutive possessions late in the fourth quarter. This isn't the first time Brooks has gone to this well. Back in 2017, his Wizards sent Simmons to the line 24 times in a single quarter. When Hakaben started, the score was one away all. After Simmons split his freebies on three straight trips to the stripe, Washington held a 112-111 lead it wouldn't relinquish. End quote. 
So the hack of end stuff, I don't really think that that's the huge turning point within this game for the Wizards to win. Uh, I mean, he still scores one point per possession. It's not that big of a deal. Washington holds a one-point lead, whatever. The bigger question is, what does it mean when one of your best players, especially a player that you are really reliant upon to create for others, is this bad of a free-throw shooter? Simmons is now 5 for 20 from the free-throw line within this series. On top of a lot of years of Ben Simmons struggling at the free throw line and being one of the worst free throw shooters in basketball. To his credit, he was better this year. I want to say he hovered somewhere around 60% from the free throw line. But now that we're back in the playoffs uh, and he's 5 for 20 from the line, familiar talking points are arising and a familiar question is being posed. Can you afford to have your second best player and in a game when Joel Embiid goes down, your best player can you afford to have him be this attackable on offense? The side of the ball that we rarely view a player as attackable. And it's a valid question that the Sixers have asked themselves in the past. I remember two years ago when the Raptors beat them in the second round series, the famous series where Kawhi Leonard's game seven shot dribbles all the way around the rim and falls in to end the series. Razor thin margin. Uh, And I remember watching Ben Simmons in that series where he did incredible things. He was guarding Kawhi. He was playing defense at about as high a level as you could play. He's rebounding. He's passing. He's doing all the things that Ben Simmons does at a great level. And and what I remember most vividly from the series is crunch time. When he was really timid and apprehensive about getting to the rim because he knew that if he went there, Toronto would foul him because that's the best case scenario for Toronto. Oh, you want to try and attack this area of the paint and create something for someone else? All right. Push comes to shove. We'll foul you. And we know you're a sub 50% free throw shooter at this point in time. And when there's pressure and there's four minutes to go and the game is tied, we trust that you're going to clank these free throws because that's what the past has shown us. So it's trying to find a balance within a player. Uh, between how do you improve, what are you, and what are you to the team. I'm going to read another quote that comes from the Stan Devine story. And this one is specifically a post-game quote from Doc Rivers, the coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, after Game 4 against Washington. You guys in the media keep this Ben Simmons narrative alive, which to me is freaking insane, with how good this guy is and all the things he does. Ben is not a 40-point guy. It's not what he does. He does other things for your team. And I just don't understand why that's not sinking in in our city. Everybody on the team doesn't have to be a scorer to help the team. Ben scores, but Ben creates scoring for us. That's what he does. If I'm Ben, at some point, I'd get tired of it. I just would. Because he's just too good and he does so many good things for this basketball team. And I keep saying, celebrate him. Celebrate all the stuff he does well. We don't do that enough. End quote. So I both strongly agree and strongly disagree with this quote. Uh, Those of you who listen to this show know that I really harp on on this specific idea that we should always be celebrating high-level play because that's what we actually want as fans. We want to see these sports played at the highest possible level. And when they are, celebrate that because it's fun and, and it gives us what we want. This sport played at its highest level. 
Now, as part of this process, you get into the playoffs. And what we want to see in the playoffs is the highest possible play combined with the highest possible stakes. That's the ultimate draw. Why this time of the year is so special to me and why I love it so much. Part of the pressure of the playoffs goes back into the theme of the show. There are years that ask questions and years that answer. You have to ask questions of yourself. If you're a player, you have to ask questions of yourself if you're a team. Uh, And fans do that when they watch. And Ben Simmons has one that continually occurs, and it's fair to ask within the context of a playoff series for people who watch. And if you're the Sixers, it's, it's really fair and necessary to ask because he is an incredible player. And he does all those things that I mentioned that he was doing within the Toronto series that Doc Rivers is talking about post-game. One of the best defenders in basketball. An incredible passer. Incredible rebounder. Like all these things. Incredible creator for other people. But when you're being honest with yourself and you're trying to sculpt a championship team, you ask the hard questions that are on the fringes. And you say, we know Ben Simmons gives us all of this. What are the ways that we can improve the razor-thin margin between being a team that wins a championship or a team that loses on a Game 7 buzzer beater to a ball that bounces around the rim 500 times? What is the margin there? How can we improve? How can we negate that? With Ben Simmons, it's this. It's how detrimental is it that he is not good at the free-throw line and seems petrified of attacking the basket in close games. Close games that will always be there when you are playing against the very best teams. So now you're into crunch time. And it's game four of a 2-1 series or it's game five of a 2-2 series. These pressure-packed moments that are incredible to watch as a viewer. When you're in that moment, the question has been there and is still there and will be there until it's answered in one way, shape, or form. Do we trust Ben Simmons to go to the line and make free throws, first and foremost? And a question that's there even before that. Is he going to alter the way he plays offense because he is afraid of getting to the basket with the ball in his hands and being fouled by the opposing team and being put in a situation where there's a minute and a half to go in a tie game and now the rim's rattling and the opposing crowd is slapping together a bunch of foam noodles and I have this built-up history in my mind, this scar tissue that arises from having past failures and I know that I haven't been really good at the line in the past and a lot of people say that I'm terrible here. What is this experience going to be like for me right now, right here in in this moment? That's the question. Uh, We don't have an answer to it yet. We've had answers in the past and it's that he's not really going to perform that well. That might change in the future or it might not matter if Philadelphia can cover up that specific wart in a way that is on Doc Rivers' shoulders to do or Joel Embiid or Tobias Harris or other people that are a part of this team. Part of the blend of a team, it's not that you have 12 perfect players on your roster. It's that you find the very best things that each individual player can do. You maximize those. And then what really becomes pertinent within a playoff series in a playoff run is being honest about your weaknesses and finding ways to minimize those. These are all valid questions. Uh, For a team that values itself as a contender. That's the process you have to go through. You have to ask hard questions and you have to try and find the answers. A lot of the times you're just not going to find them because only one team is going to win the championship. 
Uh, I look around the league and everybody's going through this soul-searching process. Teams that are gone, you know, Toronto Maple Leafs, I spent 10 minutes going through that. All the teams that are eliminated are going through this process. Teams that are still here, they're going through the same process. Suns-Lakers last night, that's just a series of question marks. You know, there's the basic questions. Phoenix is saying, what are we without Chris Paul? Well, we're not a contender. If he's not there playing, we can't win. We're not going to win a championship. The Lakers, they have the same basic question. What are we without Anthony Davis or LeBron James or hobbled versions of both? Well, we know the answer to that question. They're not going to win a championship. Uh, The more interesting part is the complex questions that are coming about from this series. Phoenix is saying, okay, what are we with a less than 100% Chris Paul? I don't know. That's something that we're going to see play out. He looked slightly better in game four than he has since he injured his shoulder in game one. And he played a really pivotal role in that game. Uh, And the Suns run the Lakers off the floor last night. Now they hold pole position to close out this series on Thursday and try to go through this process again of asking questions moving into the next round. How do we be better? How do we get Chris Paul healthy? Everything that goes into this. Uh, And the Lakers are sitting there on the other side of the fence, a team that after game three, looked like they were shooing to win this series. And now they're looking at the mirror and saying, Anthony Davis looks like he won't be around. Uh, and it's a really hard, complex question to ask of ourselves, but is there anyone on this roster besides LeBron who can rise up in the absence of Anthony Davis? Last night, the answer was no, there's nobody. Uh, it's not going to be Markeith Morris in the starting lineup. It's not going to be Dennis Schroeder. It's not going to be Andre Drummond or Kuzma, or Mark Gasol, go down the list. Uh, None of those people were there for it last night. And LA, in today, the off day, is going to have to say, okay, who here can step up, or can anybody? And if not, we're going to be going home on Thursday night. Uh, That's how the playoff works. It's that simple. I look forward to a series that is happening next round where we're already asking questions about it because it's such an enticing, juicy matchup. One that I think will be one of the very best of the playoffs and definitely the best of the second round. Milwaukee Bucks against the Brooklyn Nets. And I'm already circling this series like a vulture, just ready to come in and pick at the meat because it seems almost too good to be true. This Bucks team with... Past playoff failures piling up behind them that have slightly tweaked their vision and said, how do we get better? Giannis, you need to do these certain things differently. I think one way that we can really maximize what we have is put you into ball screens. Uh, It's something that Zach Lowe on ESPN, he's really been talking about lately, which I find to be very fascinating. Milwaukee changing their offense to incorporate Giannis more as a screener within pick and rolls where Middleton or Drew Holiday is the ball handler and he becomes the most terrifying force rolling to the rim in a way that the Jazz are using Rudy Gobert for. And the Bucks say, hey, we've had a lot of past playoff failures, and Eric Bledsoe, he might have been part of those in some way, shape, or form. Can we upgrade that in a way that is, is in our best interest? So they swap him out for Drew Holiday, an incredible defender, one of the very best perimeter defenders in basketball, and a guy who can create his own shot and hit open threes. And play this awesome two-man game with Giannis as a screener or, or with Middleton or any of these people that the Bucks have. 
That's what the Bucks have built up. Going against the Brooklyn Nets, who don't have all of the scar tissue as a team together. They have different questions. Can a team that really hasn't played much at all together because of injuries and trades, can they just suddenly flourish in the playoffs because the talent is so overwhelming? Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. When it's cooking like it was in game four against Boston, it seems like there's no team on earth that could ever stand in its way. Uh, and their question is, can, it, can this roster that has had minimal time to gel but possesses talent out the wazoo, can we overcome a team that's in front of us that has built itself over the course of years? It's really fascinating subplot to this series. You know, uh, in this continual search for questions, the Bucks say, okay, are we truly equipped to slow down this offense? We have Giannis Antetokounmpo, one of the best defenders in basketball. We have Drew Holiday, one of the best defenders in basketball. We have Chris Middleton, a superb defender. Three defenders who, if you're just drawing them up on paper, you say, all right, you're never going to stop this offense. But if we're looking for ways to slow down Durant, Harden, and Kyrie, it's really hard to find a threesome that could top this on defense. And then on the flip side of that, the Nets are there looking at themselves saying, okay, this newfound wrinkle of Giannis is the screener and this Bucks offense that has put people in a blender and just ground them into nothing. How can we, a team with minimal defensive talent, how can we slow this down just slightly, just slightly enough so that our offense can shine and that's what wins the series. This is what I love, I love about this time of year. Um, and that's where I'll leave everybody who's listening and watching. This continual search within the playoffs. Uh, question, answer, question, answer, question. And then for 29 teams, that's going to be open-ended. It's going to be soul-searching. It's going to be, what can we do better? How do we find a better version of ourselves? And for that one team, it's going to be absolute answer. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This podcast can be found on any platform of your choosing. If you could rate and review and help spread the word, it would help me immensely. If you have additional feedback or thoughts that you want incorporated into the show, please email me at chris at thebeehive.com. Last but not least, if you would prefer to listen to this as a video, go to thebeehive.com and find No Baller.